Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C. with leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Creative Habits Podcast. Today, we have a very, very special guest. His name is Ayo, and we met at the Portland College of Art and Design. Ayo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, so tell us a little bit about your experience as an artist. Well, okay. So last couple past years, I guess, I guess I've just like even kind of gotten tired of the label artist. So I've kind of just like further gone away from it just due to my experiences in the art world and like kind of uh, the whole thing just showing like it's ass, excuse my language. <laughs> But it's just like um, being an artist, I feel it's like a title that I don't even strive to like really want. I would prefer like, you know, being a hobbyist or a craftsperson. Uh, I do completely different things anymore. I I don't even really draw or paint that much anymore. I, I dye more, I dye more like clothes and fabric. I do more embroidery um, and I work more with like, you know, materials and the interest of making things but as for art I just feel like I don't relate to it no more so um thanks I do want to expand on that a little bit because I'm very interested in like Mm -hmm. hearing more about your thoughts um about art and just not really wanting to claim that um why why (laughs) so after graduating like I I um I graduated from school, graduated from the Corcoran, GW, whatever you want to call it. I graduated in the hospital. Mm. And I was very, very sick when I graduated. I got my diploma in the hospital, all of that jazz. And, you know, looking back, I was kind of like working really hard because I wanted to establish a name for myself and do really good work. But then I realized, you know, academia, or at least our academia, very... um it's an inside world. And if you don't have it in, you just don't get in. And I mean, that's kind of with almost everything, but especially for our academia, I didn't have it in. So I wasn't in and I kind of like left that. And then um, just realizing the fact that, you know, you can't really make or focus on art properly if you do not have a foundation of money. So artists, is a class title you can still be an artist without money i'm not saying that you can't be that but like to have the time to do juries and like focus on your work who paying the bills if you're not working some people got their parents paying bills some people you know like have like maybe to have a rich partner or maybe they just come from you know just rich background in general but for most people especially most black folk they don't got that and mm-hmm. I didn't have that. I couldn't spend time working on paintings when I kind of needed to pay some bills, help my family out. So I kind of was just like, I don't think I can be an artist anymore. And I don't even really believe in being artists. Now, mm-hmm. what really changed me was working at a museum. I'm not going to name the museum, but working at a museum and kind of seeing that, like the museum was very cool. Probably best job I ever had. But seeing the mechanics of working with artists 
and working with like the money behind art. And, you know, it's just like, it felt very petty to me in the sense it's like, if a sponsor wanted their sign bigger, like they would call us last minute, like make it a little bit more bigger. Mm. And it's just like, it's already big enough. It's like, you want it like what, 0.5 inches bigger in every diameter. I'm just like, why? Like, I I had like a, had like a terrible boss that like basically made me quit and was extremely overbearing. And it was just like, felt kind of hopeless I was like why am I here and I felt really bad I was just like yeah I don't think I can you know do this anymore just was done so it's just like right right now a lot of things are transformative in the art world a lot more museums and places like that are forming unions as they should mm -hmm. um and a lot more people are realizing their worth. And I think that's maybe the COVID effect of having that time off mm -hmm. to realize what you really want to do. And I realized that I don't enjoy being an artist because, you know, it's just like, it's got baggage. It's got historical baggage. It's got classes baggage. It's got a lot. It, it really does. And I'm so sad to hear um, you express such a like ne negative feeling to the whole like experience of being in the art world. Um, I feel like there's so much to say or like to kind of respond to that. But yeah. you and I both come from, you know, specific cultures that were different from other students that we went to school with. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, I kind of feel like I completely understand what you're saying. And at the same time, I feel like. I feel bad that, that there was no room for you at the table. You know, I, I, mm. I'm trying to feel like. I completely understand why you would say what you're saying about how you're expressing your feelings. Um, what how am I trying to express myself? Well, first off. I do feel like I completely understand with having to navigate as an artist at an art school with the expenses of how much art supplies just in general costs, and then trying to focus on personal situations at home. Whereas when I was talking about our cultures, it's like we don't necessarily have the luxury of like being independent, whereas we rely on each other as family to take care of our family. So mm -hmm. I get that. But then I also think about how you're expressing your work experience. And in most spaces that I've had experiences in, in the art industry or places where I have creative work, it's what you're saying. Like it ends up being something that I'm not really no longer passionate about and hoping that, you know, it, it would change. But there's it, it has come to the point where I left you know, just work in general, <laughs> mm -hmm. trying to make it as an artist. And I'm, I'd be honest, it's the hardest thing ever. Like for me, I don't have the luxury to be a full-time artist. And I wish it was not that way because I see a lot of our peers, you know, excelling, but I have so many responsibilities that I can't even, you know, put myself first in that way. So I completely understand what you're saying, but, um, 
and I respect you choosing not to like, you know, call yourself an artist, but it's, it's kind of sad because I feel like it's almost as if you've just given up, you know, <laughs> like, I, mean, I, I, I kind of have, but the yeah. thing, to be, I guess to be like, you know, to elaborate a little bit more. When we went to the Corcoran, like I was a transfer student and, you know, I had this one lady who will not be named. Mm -hmm. uh, she kind of just like ignored the fact that I, I knew what I was doing art wise and started me over. Wow. And I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt of like her racism. I was like, let me try not to assume everyone's racist. Mm -hmm. Turns out she was fairly racist to a bunch of other black students too. And I found it out. And it was just like, she was very diminishing or to like these students and me. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, when I threatened to swap majors, even she got very territorial and mad and upset. And it was just like, I'm just a number to you. I'm just a number in your ranks of fine art. And you're not even really teaching me stuff I didn't learn at community. Like, can't even lie. Like, community college was the best formative college years I've had as an artist because I hear I, that a lot. Yeah. Like, my teachers, I still talk to them. I still see them. Like, I recently taken a class at my old community college and they talk to me a lot about, you know, about those formative years and about how I've changed as an artist and how they mm. respect that. And it means so much more to me now. I have uh, Ozzy's respect. I have Sharda's respect. I have Nicole's respect, you know? And I didn't necessarily always have that because I was really a young artist who kind of was playing around and I realized, you know, what I needed to do to get that respect and to have them acknowledge it means a lot to me, you know, like, uh, I'm happy that I do not like, like, I don't like relate to being or having that artist title because that means art is fun for me again. Mm -hmm. Like when I There's paint- There's no pressure. Yeah, when I paint, I just paint. Like art's always gonna be my blood because you know, like, like it's just there. Like I feel like uh, my mother really like inspired me a lot when she was here to, do that stuff also despite she having like a job very heavily based in science mm -hmm. and you know like I want to go back to Nigeria eventually to do like the indigo dying training camp that they have in Oshobo mm -hmm. and it's just like you know like that's never going to leave me behind but like now that I'm doing things else with teaching and art I feel so much happier that I can draw and not have it be for anything that I can make work and not really have it have a purpose. It's just work that I like drawing and making. I can write, I can write whatever I want. And I write, sometimes I write serious things. Sometimes I write really stupid things. It's whatever I want to do. Definitely. Not for an assignment, not for anything. It's just whatever I want to do. And that's what has made art fun for me again. Because I took years off after school because I was just like very disillusioned mm -hmm. and now I get to teach you know K to five I get to teach a bunch of young kids you know the art world with some stem sprinkled into it and that's okay. dope what is your title are you an art teacher <clears throat> uh yeah like okay. uh well, my specific job we refer to ourselves as like coaches but yeah okay. I am an art teacher and we do like steam uh steam like lessons with mm -hmm. uh I think yesterday we did a lesson just teaching how to blend colors 
by using like spinning uh, tops and stuff like that. Mm. And that's just very fulfilling for me, you know? And I also have my own embroidery practice now that I'm trying to get more serious with, but it's also very hard to get business loans and all of that stuff. So, yeah. but I have the embroidery company Oremi and like, you know, just means my friend in Yoruba. Mm -hmm. And I've been making and doing client work here and there. But um, I would like to take that more seriously in the years to come because uh, it wouldn't be possible without any of like my friend's help. Mm -hmm. And I still want to give back to the community to help me get uh, the embroidery machine. Right. But um, doing that feels really fulfilling. And I just honestly don't want to do anything that isn't fulfilling for me in my life anymore. I just don't, I can't tolerate it. Like I realize that life is too short mm -hmm. to not at least do what you want or be with the people you want to be with. That's so true and so important. And I do agree with you that having so much pressure when you are a creative person takes a toll on you feeling like, like I feel like the whole industry in itself now is like a race or even the pressure of like having to share something on social media. It was the same pressure I felt mm -hmm. like when we were in school where it's like we had so many assignments or so many things that we didn't really have time to think about what we actually wanted to do. Or if we had something that we wanted to do, specifically the type of art that I did, I don't know if you can relate. It was just like people didn't get my story, mm -hmm. my cultural story. So it's like, you know, is it also a responsibility for myself to put myself in places where I can learn and can have feedback from people that actually don't have to question what I'm doing or discriminate the, the content of what I'm, the story that I'm trying to tell. So mm -hmm. I think about you saying that you wanna to go to Nigeria. It's like maybe you haven't been or haven't been given an opportunity to be in spaces that you don't have to explain who you are. Exactly. Like being in those spaces, like it's very rare. I feel mm -hmm. comes very like few in between. And being back in Nigeria would like put me in that space sort of like I'm very novice. I feel my indigo dying. And right. if I want, I would like feel like I'd come back like very strong for sure. Cause like I, I like indigo dying a lot, but I make a lot of mistakes and I'm just like, okay, that didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. I right. Keep, I think I messed up the fatigue. I think I did this. I think I did that. A lot of failure, a lot of indigo used. So it's just like, yeah, I would like to go back sometime to right. do that. Mm. And, you know, I feel like also, even if you just get the foundation or the basics, you know, the basic training, it can open up your mind and like being able to play around with so many different things that mm. can help you grow, you know, in that type of, you know, craftsmanship. So yeah. let me ask you something, because um, I know we're, we're from the continent of Africa. Mm -hmm. um, you from Nigeria, myself from Zimbabwe. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, because in my culture, and my languages, like the languages that are spoken in my culture or just how we are as people, we don't have a word for art. Is that the same for Nigeria or the Yoruba culture? Mm -hmm. I don't even know the Yoruba word for art. Honestly, I think I don't know the Yoruba word for art because I don't think I've ever heard like my dad say, hey, I don't think, and yeah. If I'm not mistaken, the point that I'm trying to make is that most African languages, if not all, do not have a word for art. 
You have yeah. a word for your expression of creativity, but there's no specific category for the word art. And I think the reason why that is, is because it's embedded within our culture already. We make things that are beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> you know? definitely. And it's like, mm -hmm. we're not putting things, you know, if we're making a bowl to eat, usually the traditional ones, right? They're very decorative, mm -hmm. the spoon that you use or the way that we don't use spoons to eat. That's a form of art, right? But yeah. it's in our culture that we do things that are aesthetically pleasing to our eye because we like beautiful things. Mm -hmm. So I feel like in the context of like looking at, you know, how we view as art is a little bit different because we already kind of have like maybe a spiritual connection to art or like a cultural connection to it where it's no longer, it's not a job to us. It's almost just comes as something that we need to, to live. <laughs> it, yeah. It's off definitely of. offhand. Like it's just right. there. Right. And to quote like some stuff from my thesis that I wrote a while, mm -hmm. like a year, years ago, like when the uh, English, Portuguese, Dutch, whenever they came, when they started making like the first Ankara, mm -hmm. they were just making random stuff and basically throwing it to a wall and trying to see if it's stuck. And it wasn't sticking because like people weren't messing with it. And, you know, like the, the market women, they were the ones that were the tastemakers. They were the ones like, you're not going to sell this to the Ebos because they don't mm -hmm. like this particular set of colors. You're not going to sell this to Eurobots because they don't like this particular pattern. They were the ones who basically designed it or told them the taste of what people want and need so it wasn't even profitable until the market women had their hands on it and you know like yeah it's just like something you can't like uh you can't have you can't make anything for Africans without that insight at least Absolutely. at that time I mean, that story sounds very familiar mm -hmm. <laughs> for, for many Black people. So I wanted to jump in because you kind of introduced what we are mainly going to talk about for this mm. um, episode is your thesis. Um, your title was West African Dress Among the Black Diaspora, Reclamation mm. Through Fashion. And I, can you just tell a brief summary of what your thesis was? Um, yeah. That way people can understand what you were referring to when you were talking about the market moment. Yeah. So my thesis was basically kind of like, well, first of all, to be honest, it was cut a lot. It's like my uh my director, I think she kind of got tired because she got like a new job and she was like, okay, well, everyone cut their thesis because I don't want to read all that stuff. Oh but God. it was massive, it was massively cut down from like 40 pages to 20 pages. So a lot of the stuff I wanted to have in, it just wasn't in. It was mm -hmm. historical context of uh, the uh, different fabrics in the West African region. So from Mali, from Ghana, from Nigeria. And then it was like tackling appropriation, which was a very hot topic in 2016. And I basically kind of went through the forms of appropriation. I basically, by the end of my thesis, I talked about, you know, how market forces basically took away from Africans who wanted to curate their own stuff like for centuries, not even just for like, you know, uh, 19th century or like 20th century, but for centuries, like when the British landed, uh, I think uh, they extended their um, looms. I can't remember mm -hmm. which uh, group of people, but they made their looms larger because the British cloths were larger. So they had to compete with the British cloths that they were bringing. It was basically just um, addressing 
how people adapted to basically kind of come incoming globalism mm -hmm. and basically addressing the whole specter of appropriation. And I grouped appropriation in different groups. So it was like the main appropriation was like, okay, like can people who aren't Africans wear the cloth? And it's just like, yes, as long as you buy it from Africans. Because, you know, like in the 1990s, uh, J.C. Penney, they hired a bunch of Senegalese to make, uh, you know, uh, like uh, Bogolan-inspired outfits because, you know, it was very hot in the early 1990s. Mm -hmm. And then they just kind of dumped them to the side when the trend ended. But the mm -hmm. trend doesn't ever end in Africa. They keep People keep wearing it. Right. And honestly, here in America, people keep wearing it too. So it's just like, if you treat the uh, the crafters with dignity and consistently buy their stuff and support them instead of buying it from other places like you know the Dutch and now the Chinese um that is what Africans truly want for the most part uh, according to my research hmm. and then it's just like there's just things you don't touch and I classify that I don't even know if it's like an official term but I called it sacred appropriation there's cloths that even within my own group, I cannot touch because it belongs to either a secret society or it demands a lot of respect to that cloth. So it's like uh, definitely somebody outside of my own ethnic group can't touch it. I can't touch it either. Like, you know, so um, yeah, I just want to jump in when you share that. Um, can you give us an example of things that are like sacred clothing that you see a lot of people maybe purchasing or wearing that are trying to embrace African culture, but don't really necessarily have, well haven't necessarily done their research mm -hmm. so you know they're probably wearing funeral clothing when they think that they're <laughs> wearing something that they can wear you know to yeah to, to be honest I'm kind of happy I have not seen like very many examples in, at least in my passing or in the news mm -hmm. um like secret society clothing is something that's not very often seen I believe and when I was reading about it it was more like motif cloth, like using like animals, like the crocodile, uh, which is sacred to some secret society. I think I haven't read my own thesis in years, so I'm going off memory, but I think it was pertaining to the Ijebu secret societies. Okay. And those, I don't even think there were like pictures of those cloths. So yeah, like it's still very like kind of in the shade, which, uh, you know, it's like, it's sacred, but you can't even like see it to like, wear it basically definitely yeah. i do know um one of my friends who's from ghana mm -hmm. was saying that he used to get so disturbed like looking at people wearing kente like the kente print for swimsuits or like kente print that you can just buy off of amazon because he was just like people wear that for or that like have you know connections to royalty or if it's a wedding like you don't just necessarily just wear it any kind of way yeah, I mean, that I is find true. that interesting, you know, because sometimes you want to embrace something, but you don't necessarily know where the actual origins of that print or that, you know, the language behind it or the cultural connotation behind it, even though you're trying to come from an approach of being respectful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, Kente is yeah. a very, very interesting cloth to and mm -hmm. pertaining to that, because, yeah, it is mostly uh, supposed to be worn in a certain way um and like i can only talk based off my research because i'm not from any uh Ghanaian, uh subgroup but 
I've only seen it on, you know, like kind of like, you know, how Eurobus where Ashoke, kind of like mm-hmm. how, you know, the Shanti or any other group within that were Kente. And then, you know, you have like two different Kentes too, or two major different types of Kente, which is like, you know, Ashanti Kente mm-hmm. and Ewe Kente. And I don't even know like uh, if how how common Ewe Kente is, but, you know, it's like, it's like hard to find, at least from what I've seen. But Kente is very, very interesting because it provides context to a disrespect that the world gives African culture and cloth. In what way? Please explain. Because Kente is very, very famous cultural cloth. When you see Kente, you automatically think of the Ghanaians, the Ashanti, uh, all the subgroups within that uh, big ethnic group. And you have basically it being manufactured as a print in China mm-hmm. or anywhere else where it can be manufactured. Mm-hmm. I think there was a big case where they tried to basically copyright Kente. And I wish I could remember the sourcing on that. I might have to like quickly look at my sources. Right. But there was a whole case about it. And like, I think they were trying to give Ghana the copyright towards it because, oh. you know, and it's just like, how could you not associate that with Ghana? It's impossible. Like, I could see maybe like if you're about to try to copyright a show, okay, because that's that's just made mostly out of just lace. Like mm-hmm. that's can't be. But it's also I like it's like pertaining also to like if you're about to wanted to copy right certain patterns of a D-ray, which is their right to, because a D-ray is different from a showcase. And yeah, it's just like um, all, a lot of different African clubs where I think they were trying to deny copyrights for those because mm. they knew how much money they made. And it was ridiculous. I, I hope that it has changed. I haven't really been in like, you know, the textile research field for a while. But um, the last time I checked, uh, it wasn't able to be copyrighted. And I would have to, like, find the name of that book. Like, yeah, it was a really good book. I, if I could find the name later. Yeah, definitely share with me when you have it. So as a hobbyist, um, and I know that you're saying that you are working on getting a certain, um, what is it, a machine <laughs> embroidery? But, mm-hmm. like, what, I mean, how how do you see yourself as someone who doesn't consider themselves an artist, but still practicing something that is a creative process. Where do you see yourself, you know, maybe five or 10 years from now, or like, you're not even thinking about that. What, what is it that you, after graduating from an art school, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now being a creative educator, what is it that you feel is your life's mission? Um, honestly to relax, yeah. <laughs> like I, to be completely blunt, like I almost died in 2016. I got yeah. seriously sick after graduation mm. and Alonzo Davis would always tell me before I was like, you got to calm down. I wasn't trying to listen. I was young and literally dumb. So it's just yeah. like, now I'm like, I got to respect what Alonzo told me and my body forced me to respect it. So it's just like, I'm trying to relax when it comes to making stuff now. I, I take like the Frank Ocean approach. Like you'll get it when you get it. Hold up. <laughs> you, said, you said Alonzo Davis. You know Alonzo? 
Yeah, yeah. I used to work for him. Everybody I think you were the knows Alonzi. Connected me. Yeah, that's so funny. That is mm-hmm. so funny. But yeah, um, he's a gem. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to say, like, I appreciate you for just living, you know, and just mm. being honest about I'm going to relax yeah. <laughs> because I feel like a lot of us. I'm going to speak for myself. Mm. I overwhelm myself with things that actually don't necessarily matter when you really think about it. And I feel like if everybody has a chance to relax, especially, you know, now (laughs) post pandemic, Mm. like we were inside for a long time. Um, It's not that big of a deal. It really isn't. I also feel like just the pressure of me feeling like I got to make it as artist. You know, I got to put my name out there. I got to do this. It's just not, it's not that serious. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I keep doing that, it's taking away the the enjoyment of it. Yeah. Without, you know, without really appreciating, like I can make things with my hands and nobody knows my name. Like that's at least I'm doing something that makes me happy. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like because it's beyond just work or a job it's actually like part of a lifestyle you know it's part of the thing that actually keeps me alive I don't know what I would do if I wasn't creating um and just listening to you like I feel sometimes selfish for like you know just worrying about things that don't matter (laughs) Mm -hmm. and for you to say that you almost died like it, it changes your perspective of, on what things that you appreciate or things that you must focus on. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, relax. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's like, like when I started school, I lost my mother. Mm. And two years ago, I lost my sister. Oh, my and gosh. I'm so sorry to hear that. I yeah. Like, like that showed me it was like if I want if I love people, I need to tell them I love them now. I yeah. well, if I hate people, I need to tell them I hate them now. But right. I haven't done that yet. But it's just like, I just need to take my time and need mm-hmm. to just be smart about the, the, the things I do. As for like with the embroidery now, yeah. um, I do want to own a shop or at least have a few more machines in the mm-hmm. future. But right now you really can't do that without money. Right now I'm kind of just like trying to exist and survive and pay my bills. Right. Uh, up until I can like fully run an embroidery shop but the fact is in that time I'm kind of like experimenting practicing with the machine seeing what things I can make seeing what things I can do right and also trying to record that information so that I can share it because I would like to like have more of that stuff on my website whenever I put my website back up Mm -hmm. so it's just like I have been helped by so many people and I would like to exist to help other people who help me. So yeah. that's how I feel about teaching. And that's how I feel about, I guess, my art now. And that's how I feel about everything. Definitely. And it's just like, you know, like, take your time. Like, Frank Ocean only releases, like, every couple of years. Like, there's a bunch of artists there's who like Frank, Frank Ocean, Kendrick Lamar. Like, <clears throat> very rarely do you have, like, real, you know, creatives. Mm-hmm. The ones that actually in it just to be. yeah. Free, you know. Mm-hmm. Everyone's <laughs> waiting for Rihanna's like ninth album, right? right? And she's like, just like, no, you know, yeah. I'm gonna just take my time, and mm-hmm. it'll come when it comes. When These I people, hear something, 
yeah, these people are human beings with their own lives and you just gotta wait. Maybe it will come, maybe it won't. That's Right. just how it is. You can't And mass produce one person. exactly. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. But um, I definitely want to do some more interesting things. And I definitely would like to get more into research again. I was doing some stuff with Indigo Shade Map uh, Right. a couple of years ago. And that's still a good project that's going on with uh, my friend Rosa's running it. Okay. But it's like a, a map mapping indigo strands all That's so over cool. the world. Please share But that with me. yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I also found the name of the book that I was referencing about the the copyright intellectual property. What It's was it? called it's called The Copyright Thing Doesn't Work Here. Thank And you. author, I think, is Botema Botang. Okay. But very, very, very good book. I need to probably read it again. I'm going to probably order it after this. Um, but yeah, it just basically talks about... Uh, I'm sorry, my cat is doing stuff. I don't know why. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah, but But basically you know, talks yeah. about copyright and appropriation and all that stuff. Wonderful. But you know, Ayo, like I also feel like I was saying in the beginning, just out of me being selfish, that it was unfortunate that you don't call yourself a creative or an artist. Um, but I, it doesn't take away from the fact that you actually... tell beautiful stories when you when you were creating and I've seen your work and it's like at the time it inspired me a lot you know just also feeling like I wasn't alone like you know when I when I just like I was seeing your name you know you kind of had like work to do and then you'd have the title before I think I met you I saw you like your name for something and I was like an Ayo <laughs> like I have to find this dude whose name is Ayo because I'm like yo I used to feel like in critiques like I don't even have time to like tell you my, you know, like tell you where I'm from or who I am for you to understand what I'm doing with my story. So to like have, you know, a co-student or, you know, that became my friend, you, it's like not having to explain certain things and you just get it or you understand it or me reading your whole paper, you know, not the summarized version because someone was too tired to do their job. Like there's a reason why we have this gift and I don't want it to become a time where you like just give up. And I feel like, you know, you continuing your projects, you continuing your writing is still a very important, I know you need to relax, but it's like, that's, you know, I feel like that's your life mission. There's a reason why you were, you were placed on this earth <laughs> Yeah, to have for the sure. talents that you have. And even though it's not going to be put out there to the world, just don't stop, you know, or just use it in ways that you said that will be helpful to others. Um, Cause you help me whether or not, you know, it <laughs> like, I didn't even know and that. you help It's me an honor. like want, wanting to like keep finishing school or like, just keep trying. Cause I like, there are moments where I want to give up, like, Mm-hmm. and just seeing that even you writing your thesis, I was so timid and shy to actually do what I wanted to do at school. Cause I'm like, they're not going to get it. you know, and you should, I just felt like you had the confidence to just be like, this is what I'm writing. You know, Mm. Yeah. this is what I'm doing, period. Yeah. So that was very inspirational, inspirational for me. And I felt like having another peer that was from, you know, the content, it felt like I didn't have to be small or like shun, what is the word? Kind of like not dismiss my story. 
because everybody's story is important. It's unique. Everybody has mm-hmm. a unique story and it's appropriate to tell. Um, so we just have one minute and I wanted oh, to yeah. quickly give you the opportunity to share anything that you would like anyone to know, just in terms of like, if you have a website or if people want to follow your journey or if people can donate to you in any kind of way, just quickly share something that we can, you know, help promote on your Yeah, end. sure. Well, my Instagram is oremi.us. It's <laughs> O-R-E-M-I dot U-S. Mm-hmm. That's also the website Europe. The website's down for a bit. You got to put that back up. You can also email me at orebiwork.com. Uh, I'm going to gradually start making content again. It's just like, I got to get money to put my stuff back up. But I'm working on a blog to put all of my, put all of my dye recipes on, all of my embroidery thoughts and tutorials and just random stuff in between. And yeah, like uh, that's that, honestly. Like uh, if... Y'all are ever interested in needing somebody to do embroidery for you? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's um, definitely an honor, honestly, you telling me that I helped you in that way. I didn't even know it. I'm just like. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got to talk more. And I mean, grab some yeah. coffee at some time. But thank you so for much sure. for being on the podcast. I will talk to you later. Um, th- there's definitely a conversation that we have not completed. Yeah, But it was sure. so good to hear your voice. Yeah, no problem. Good to see Take you care. again, too. Thank right, you. Soon. Bye.